So we are in a sermon series we're calling The Gospel of Mark. We're taking a look at the life of Jesus, moving through a rapid story, an account of his life, learning what he did, who he was, gathering information about his character so that we might become the kind of people that do and say and look like Jesus. And today we're going to pick up with a part of the story where we're going to see paradigm shifts, where Jesus is going to teach them or show the people something that completely changes the way they think. And so in our day, when we have a paradigm shift, we we actually see things completely different. So I want you to feel I want you to feel what a paradigm shift feels like. So I want to share a story with you about a paradigm shift. Because in today's passage, we're going to see three paradigm shifts. Let me read you a story about a paradigm shift that Stephen Covey had. This comes from a book, maybe some of you know it, from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In this story, Stephen Covey tells of a moment where he had a paradigm shift. Here's the story. He goes, I remember a a mini paradigm shift where I I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People who were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate of the car changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. Some of you are already stressed out. I get it. I am too. It was difficult for me, Stephen Covey continues, it was difficult for me to feel uh, irritated, not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what what I felt like was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said kindly, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. And now many of you are saying, yes. The man, Phil, lifted his gaze. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do, think. I guess I don't know who to handle it or how to handle it either. Covey goes on to say this. Can you imagine what I felt in that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently because I saw it differently. I thought it differently. I felt it differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior anymore. My heart was filled with this man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? 
I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. That is a paradigm shift. And in today's passage, we're going to see three paradigm shifts. We're going to see three moments where Jesus interacts in a way that is completely the reverse of the way the world would handle a situation. And what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage like a play. Some of you like plays. Today we have three acts. Act one, a disciple. Act two, a dinner. Act three, a discussion. And as as we walk through the passage, as we walk through this play, through these three acts, we're going to see a paradigm shift occur in each one of those acts. And I think it may have something to do with your life and my life. There may be some application for us today as we walk through these three paradigm shifts. So here we go, walking through the play, through these three acts. We're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We will begin at verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 is where we begin. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Act one, a disciple. Act one, a disciple. So here we have Jesus again with the crowds. He's teaching, and he comes up to a tax collector. Now, this tax collector would have been Jewish. Levi would have been Jewish. But tax collectors were in cahoots with the Roman Empire. They were the ones that collected from the citizens and from those merchants coming through, collected taxes. And they weren't popular because this tax money was going not only to to prop up the very system that was oppressing them, some of that money was also going to support the worship at pagan temples and to support pagan rituals from Rome all the way across the empire. So can you imagine giving your money to support the worship of false gods? You wouldn't be happy about it. Could you imagine giving money to support the very system that helped kill family members? You wouldn't be happy with that either. And so here you have a Jewish man who is supposed to support the God of Israel, who is supposed to be against the empire that is oppressing your people, and yet you're in cahoots with them. And you're helping support them. You're actually helping take the money from the people. And tax collectors didn't have a good reputation. Tax collectors often made their money on commission of what they took. And so what would happen is, as a tax collector with that kind of authority, what you would do is that you would actually take more money than was required. There's two other instances that we see in the Gospels, Jesus coming into contact, and John the Baptist coming into contact with tax collectors. And you see in that interaction what they are called to do as they change their lives. It has everything to do with only taking what was required from the Roman Empire, nothing more. So, for example, in Luke chapter 3, verse 12 through 13, here's what happens when these tax collectors come into contact with John the Baptist. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Here's what John the Baptist said to them. Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Why would he tell them that? Because these people had become so corrupt that they took 
much more than was required. And they, they oppressed. They were a cog in the system that was oppressing the people. In Luke 19, in Luke 19 verse 8, Jesus comes in contact with Zacchaeus. And you see, remember what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up. He said to the Lord, Zacchaeus, a tax collector, Look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. Zacchaeus understood how oppressive his extortion had been over those many years. And so when a Jew would see a tax collector, they would typically think of that tax collector as corrupt and, is on, the, and, and on the outside of God's favor. We might call that ignored. And the fact that Jesus now among the crowds, now a, a pretty popular guy at this point, having some influence. Remember, people are looking at Jesus saying that he teaches as one with authority, unlike anyone else that teaches in his day. And he's walking now be, uh, beside the lake. He sees a tax collector, someone considered corrupt, ignored by God, and he speaks, not only speaks to him, but says, come, I want you to be on my inside circle. What? That doesn't happen in our world. And not only... Not only does Jesus speak to him, invite him onto the inner circle, he obeys. This guy, this guy considered corrupt and then ignored, who no one thought would ever come to actually obey the God of Israel, he obeys and he turns his life around. The guy that was never supposed to obey, the guy that was always supposed to be corrupt, changes his life. That's a paradigm shift. That's a paradigm shift. Why do I say that? Here's the point I want to make here. The world, the world invites the best and the brightest. This is just the way the world works. But Jesus invites the corrupt and the ignored. And in that moment, in Act 1, with this disciple, the tables are turned because Jesus brings into the inner circle someone, someone that everybody thought beyond hope and ignored. That's the kind of work Jesus is doing as he reverses the kingdom of Satan here on earth. Act 2, a dinner. Let's pick up now in the story, verse 15, when Jesus, when Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Now we know that he's going to have dinner at this guy's house. He's having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him, and his disciples were there, his disciples were there, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here in this translation with the New International Version, we get a sense, we get a sense of what Jesus is saying. We're getting a sense of how the world might view things. I want you to see these last two verses in the passage from the New Living Translation because they grab the meaning of the original Greek better than the NIV does here. Check out this, this translation. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That's what that would have communicated in that day. 
And then Jesus heard this. He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. They think they're righteous. But those who know they are sinners. You see, as Jesus sat with these tax collectors and sinners, what would have these are people that would have been considered scum in the day. They would have been considered dirty, just dirty and unworthy. Someone with the influence of Jesus doesn't sit with people like that. He's better than that. And so here in this dinner, we get a glimpse of the paradigm shift occurring. But there's another dinner, and I want to pull now another scene out of the Gospel of Luke. And I don't want you to read it, I want you to hear it. So I'm going to read it, you listen. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 48. I want you to watch, look in, I want you to come with me as we peer into another dinner scene where the same kind of paradigm shift is happening. But it just so happens with a little more detail. Here's the scene. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 48. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. They would have considered Jesus to be righteous. He he was well off. And so they had him over for dinner. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Scum. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman, and he said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So, she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus honored scum in the house of a righteous and well-off man. That's a paradigm shift. That doesn't happen in this world. You take care of the righteous. You take care of the well-off. You leave the dirty and the unworthy to themselves. And yet Jesus reverses the order. This is the paradigm shift we see in Act 2, a dinner. The world invites the righteous and the well-off. You would invite the righteous and the well-off. They feel good. They're like you. And yet Jesus invites the dirty and the unworthy. 
and he blew their minds. In that moment, as he sat around with these scumbags, in that moment, it was like Stephen Covey hearing the words from that man that his wife had just died. It reversed the order in a profound way, a paradigm shift. Act 3, Act 3, a discussion. Let's pick up. We'll pick up in verse 17. On hearing this, so this is right after the dinner, and Jesus has told them who needs, who needs the doctor. Verse 18, we'll pick up in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. So, no, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, what we don't know in the story here, in this part of the play is who's asking the question. This is where we can actually get some help from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 9.14, we actually read that it was some of John's disciples that came and asked this question. And one translation of the Scriptures actually subtitles this part of our story, a discussion about fasting. So what I want us to understand is that this question isn't coming as a gotcha moment. This question is coming as a sincere inquiry. We're fasting, and your disciples aren't fasting. What's going on? And in that day, fasting would have been considered a rigid rule. It was, it was something you did. It was a rule you kept in order for God to like you. And so what Jesus does here is he shifts the terms of the discipline, of the practice. Whereas John's disciples and the Pharisees would have seen fasting as a rigid rule, something you got to do for God to like you, Jesus says uh, fasting is in the context of a relationship. It pulls you closer, it pulls you into a relationship. And because fasting ultimately brings you to me, if I'm with you, you don't need to fast. But one day I will be taken, and then you will fast, and you'll be drawn to me. But here's what I want us to note, is that in this moment that Jesus is teaching them about fasting, he's teaching them to move away from rigid rules, making sure you have all your boxes checked and all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed, that you've got everything in place, you've got God in his nice box. You, he's moving them from a place of rigid rules and rituals to a place of relationship in that teaching on fasting. And then he takes that one step further as he teaches them about this, this old cloth, new cloth, old wineskin, new wineskin. Let's take wineskins, for example. Wineskins were made of goatskin, typically, and after some time, they would become rigid. They would become taut. They'd be inflexible. And so if you put new wine in them, they would break because they were so inflexible. And the old wineskins represents all those rigid rituals and rules that the Pharisees had put on top of the people. 
One commentary says this about this passage about the old wineskins and new wineskins. Take a look here. The Pharisees had become rigid like old wineskins. They could not accept faith in Jesus that would not be contained or limited to man-made ideas or rules. The Pharisees thought they could get God into a night neat box. And as long as you had your night neat box laid out and you lived inside all those nice neat rules, then you knew you were good with God. And what Jesus does is he comes in and he says, I don't fit in a box. You can't get me in a box. God doesn't fit in a box. And yet the Pharisees and all of their rules put heavy burdens on the people. I want you to take a look at two places where Jesus speaks directly to the Pharisees and the burdens they put on the people because of all the rules they gave people. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, he said this to them, they crush people. He's speaking of the Pharisees. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And then in Mark chapter 7, we will come to this passage, Mark 7, 8 and 9 For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. There were people among them throughout Israel who were told, you better go to synagogue every week and you better dress a certain way. And then they missed synagogue for some reason and then they were condemned in the community. Does that relate to... Does that have any translation to our day? Where we, where we would place heavy burdens and rules on top of people. Jesus at one point speaks into this in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to hear these words in the context of a people burdened by trying to keep all the right rules, check all the boxes, dot all their I's, cross all their T's. It is a heavy load. It is, it is a big burden to bear. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I think he's looking at people burdened by all the rules, all the regulations, all the rituals. He says, I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's good news to a people burdened by rules and rituals, empty rules, empty rituals. And so Jesus speaks now in this third act, having a discussion about fasting, moving them to a place of of different cloth and wineskins. And here's what he's doing. He's pulling this, this paradigm shift where the world invites people into rules and rituals because you can control those. Jesus invites people into a relationship. If you get Jesus, if you get Jesus into a, in a relationship, you're going to get all of the appropriate rule keeping you need. You will. But if you just grab for all the right rules and all the right rituals, you will get nothing. Because they can't hold the relationship. And if you don't get the relationship, you don't get anything. If you get the relationship, you get everything. So with all of this said, take a review now. Let's take a review of the paradigm shifts that Jesus is moving us through. The world invites the best and the brightest, but Jesus invites the corrupt and the ignored. The world invites the righteous and the well-off, 
And Jesus, he invites the dirty and the unworthy. And then the world would invite rules and rituals. That's how we control people. That's how we make sure we're all okay. And yet Jesus invites relationship. These are big paradigm shifts. So big it's hard for us to work through them. Because the world's invitations are still very rooted inside of our habits in our life. But I think we can take a stab at some application. Let's take a stab at some application. Let's take all of this and get it down into where we live, like where you live, into your workplace and into your home. Here's, here's what I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask this question. Who are the corrupt and ignored in your life? Now, be honest. Who are the people in your life that are so far gone, there's no getting them back? Who are the people that are so evil or who are so bad that you've even stopped praying for them? Or who are the people in your family or your friends that you don't even give them the time of day? When you see their name come up on your phone, you hit that side button, ignore, right? I've done that plenty. Not to you, but to other people. I have, it, I have done that to them. I want you to work through that. Who do you think is so far gone or who is so annoying that you've ignored them? Jesus would call you to move towards them. Now, I'm not saying that you become their best friend, but I'm saying you move towards them, whatever that might look like where you are. Act two, this is where we have the dinner scene. Who are the dirty and unworthy in your life? Who are the people you'd be embarrassed to be around? Who are the people that just dress too uncleanly to be seen with? Who are the people you judge because of the way they look? Who are the people in society that we don't give much attention to? Who are the unworthy? Because if you're human, you're carrying prejudice inside of you. You just are. So who are the people you are prejudiced against? And Jesus would call you to move towards them. And I don't know who that is for you. I just don't know. But I know that Jesus will move us in a paradigm shift like he did at that dinner where he would speak in a way that would be scandalous. And then he's probably got us right where he wants us. Who are the dirty? Who are the unworthy? Move towards them. And then in Act 3, where we had that discussion about rules and rituals and rich relationship, here's the question that I hope steps on some toes. Is this church thing, that's this thing we're doing right now, is this church thing more about keeping a bunch of rules or building a relationship with Jesus? Will you go home today feeling good that you went to church because you went to church? Or will you feel good because you are moving closer to Jesus? If we're honest, myself included, sometimes I feel good because I preached a sermon. It feels good to preach God's word. You kind of feel a little righteous. Who wouldn't? I'm bringing God's word. If anybody was going to feel righteous, surely I can. And if you've not come to church for a long time and now you're coming back, that feels good. You've checked that box. You're doing something right now. If that's what this is all about, you've missed the point. Now, the discipline of coming to church is vital for a relationship with Jesus. 
But if you think the relationship is reduced to the box of coming to church, you've missed Jesus. And we never throw out the baby with the bathwater. But you really need to consider if this whole church thing is just a matter of keeping rules or if it's about a relationship with Jesus. Really think on that. I'm hoping that gets under some skin or steps on some toes. Because this one we still struggle with, I think. Let's take all of this then into what I think is the other side of the coin. All of this now has been all about how you are bad. But to you, to you who feel corrupt and ignored. Listen, a crowd this size, there's some of you that do some bad things still. You just hide it. You might feel like you're too far gone because you really are corrupt. Or you might feel ignored like no one ever pays attention to you. Or maybe you feel dirty, like you're being judged all the time. Or you just never can do anything right. Or, or maybe you feel unworthy, like God has no reason to love you. Why would he love you? Maybe you feel like those tax collectors and sinners. Or maybe, maybe you're struggling because you're just burdened with a bunch of rituals and rules and you don't have a relationship and you just feel bad about it all the time. I don't know where you sit. But here would be my word to you on the other side of this coin. Jesus has, will, and will continue to move towards you. Now, he won't let you stay in your corrupt state. He's not going to let you stay in your badness, your wickedness, your evil. He won't he's gonna let you stay there. But if you feel like you are unworthy or ignored, I'm telling you, God really likes you. So much so that he brought heaven to earth in the person of his son and defeated death so he could bring you into relationship. That sounds so crazy, you may not even believe that. But hopefully my words can get through at this point to say, God likes you if you feel this way. He would have invited you to dinner and you would have had a good time. Let's take a next step. Let's take a few next steps. These next steps, just a few here. Pray for someone who is corrupt. Literally, the person that is too far gone this week, pray for them. It doesn't have to be elegant. It doesn't have to be complex. Say their name. God help them. Done. But watch what it begins to do to your heart. Talk to someone who you view as dirty. Now, that's the one, that, that's the one that's really going to be tough here. Rather than hit the side button, swipe across the bottom and answer the phone. That kind of thing. Talk to someone you think is dirty. And then read Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 once a day this week. That's that passage where Jesus says, Come to me, all who feel weary and burdened. Guess what? I'm going to bring rest for your souls. These are just three next steps you could take this week to move us in the direction of Jesus. I'm not saying it'll produce a miracle, but I'm saying it'll get you closer to Jesus than when you started today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these paradigm shifts where Jesus changes and moves our thinking to a whole new place. Get it down into our emotions. Move us to a place where we can be different kinds of people who look and sound and move like Jesus the Christ. In his name I pray this. Amen.